Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Well, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or translator, FM translator, that is. It is the Michael Duke Show being brought to you each and every day by your friends over there at Satellite West. You can find them at SatelliteWest.com. Good morning and welcome to it, my friends. How are, how are you guys doing? What's, what's happening? What are you, what are you, what, what's your Thursday look like? Oh, I hope it's looking better than mine right now because... Oof, I don't know what happened, but something broke this morning and I lost a lot of my stuff and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. But that's okay. That's uh it's how it works around here. We're going to we're going to get it all uh figured out here before we get along too long. Um so, good morning and welcome to it. Today is a jam-packed show. Jam Yes, jam-packed. Uh today we're going to be joined in hour 1 by uh, David Eastman, Representative David Eastman, who has just come out of his uh, of his trial, the tr- the trial um, uh, over the uh, his eligibility based on his membership to um, uh, to Oath Keepers, and uh, there's some repercussions to that. There's some repercussions to what's going on there, and we're going to talk with him about that. And uh, in just a little bit here uh, and, uh, you know, kind of get kind of get the feel for what happened, what was going on, why did it go down the way that it went down and uh, what his thoughts are on future elections and what other people may be faced with as we uh, as we go about our business, a business, so to speak, uh, with all this stuff. So we're going to. We're gonna find we're gonna find out about that here, and we will uh, we'll 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 we will we will discuss. So that's kind of where we're at right now with uh, what's happening uh, with David Eastman here in hour one, and then in hour two, we're going to hear from the brand new representative from down on the peninsula, uh, and that is Justin Ruffridge, who is the uh, uh, who is the new representative down there? And we're going to get a feel for him on what's been happening since he, uh, you know, since he was uh, elected. And uh, of course, he hasn't gone down to Juno yet, hasn't been sworn in. But we'll talk to him about the organizational process, what his thoughts are, where he's, you know, where his thoughts are lying on bipartisanship or uh, coalition or what his priorities are as he goes into um, as he goes into the uh, the, the session. And it'll just be an all-around conversation, kind of what's going on. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm appreciative that Justin will. I know a lot of people are bummed out that uh, Ron Gillum uh, was defeated in that race. And uh, I know that there's some hurt feelings down in the peninsula and some people are upset and everything. So, I mean, I was just impressed that uh, Justin returned my call and was happy to come on board and talk about it. 
So let's see what happens. Let's uh, let's see what's going on. Uh, that's going to be in hour two this morning. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing, well, everything that's everything that's happening, everything that's happening. So that's uh, that's where we're going to start off uh, and end today's show. Uh, we uh, we appreciate you guys coming in and uh, being part of it today. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it is Firearms Friday, our one day a week where we get a chance to um, discuss and contemplate and celebrate uh the second amendment and uh and and talk about gun rights and firearms and and everything else so that's uh that's coming up on tomorrow's show and uh we are working on a guest right now dr john lott is actually going to be joining us on the 27th i was trying to get him to come on tomorrow but uh he's going to actually be joining us on the 27th and i'm working on for 2023 one of my big goals is to get uh Coleon noir on the program uh for firearms friday and if you don't know who Coleon noir is he is uh he's pretty awesome man he's pretty awesome so we're going to talk about that and uh we're going to see if we can get him on the program sometime this year as well but working on some new firearms guests uh, i mean i love all the firearms guests that i normally get you know the rob pincus and the chris chang and the david codria and and uh, the john lots of the world and things like that those are some big names in guns but uh always looking to expand maybe we'll get mash Torre back on from black uh, guns matter and um i don't know some of the other ones it'll, it'll be kind of fun but anyway tomorrow's program i'm working on somebody right now and hopefully we'll have a guest tomorrow if not it'll just be you and me talking about firearms all morning so it's uh it's going to be fantastic so uh what else we got here where are we at uh we got we got some time here good good so i wanted to get an, over a couple of things that uh, uh have crossed uh, the desk of course everybody well not everybody even i who am um i guess i should say necessarily ambivalent to the uh uh, to the vagaries of national politics, have been hearing about, watching, and seeing the lamentations about the uh, votes for the Speaker of the House in Congress and how that is just going on and on and on. Six votes now, with seven votes, eight votes, however many votes it is, and still no Speaker. Um, and uh, to which I say, good. That's 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 how this process is. But you know what really kills me is that they treat this whole thing like this should have been a foregone conclusion. It should have been one and done. It should have been rubber stamped. Um, uh, Justin Amash, who is a former uh, first and only libertarian congressman, um, was on the Hill TV yesterday, yesterday or day before, um, with, uh, with Robbie So from Reason Magazine. And he was talking about, look, this whole thing in Congress, because he's now a former congressman, he he left Congress, uh, but he said this whole thing is an oligarchy, right? I mean, the whole thing is controlled by a very few, a handful of people, uh, including the Speaker. And he goes, "This, you know, what happens is the Congress, excuse me, the uh, Speaker of the House and the and the leadership in the House and the Senate basically are disruptive to democracy." the democratic process within our government, right? We, we are a constitutional Republic, but we have a, a, you know, the democracy is still part of 
how the uh, it, of how it all works, this proportional representation and all these other things. And he goes, the Speaker of the House, historically, especially over the last 15 years, has completely uh, abridged that. He goes, you know, the last time that a senator was able to actually or excuse me, a, a representative was actually able to go out on the floor and offer an amendment just on his own, out of the blue, without the prior approval of the speaker. It's like been like 14 years since a a, a representative from your state has been able to walk out and say, I'd like to offer an amendment. No, it's all the backroom deals and everything else and these massive omnibus bills that are 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 pages that they drop on the rest of the, that the leadership drops on the rest of the, of the, of the uh, House and the Senate, you know, uh, a mere day before they're supposed to vote on it and all these other kind of things. I mean, it's, it really is. And so this is kind of refreshing because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of folks who are not in the power broker base. They're not on the left. They're not on the right. And they're like, we speak for, for a plurality of Americans. And we'd really just, we, we would really just like to, you know, have a discussion about this stuff. And that's the thing. They don't want to have discussions. Nancy Pelosi didn't want to have discussions. Uh, Paul Ryan didn't want to have discussions. John Boehner definitely didn't want to have uh, discussions on it. I mean, this is, you know, this is uh this is a, this is a refreshing thing. Um, so, uh, I mean, the last time this happened was, uh, what did the gal on the Hill say? It was like 1850 something or whatever, the last time this happened. And they had 117 votes before they were finally able to elect a speaker of the house. Good for them. Good for them. But again, what can you do about it? Absolutely nothing. So stop your angst and work on something you can do, do something about, right? I mean, that's the important part. What was the other thing that ran across my desk? Oh, um, I got a thing from the media department or the marketing, or I guess it's the media department over at U-Haul. Um, and, uh, they have a, they put out a growth report every year. U-Haul does because, um, when, you know, people move. They generally, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, you know, they get a U-Haul and they go out and do this. And, uh, oh my goodness, Alaska is not, um, 2022 is not a great year for Alaska. Let's just put it that way. Uh, in 2022, Alaska tumbled 25 spots in its uh, ranking as a growth state, meaning that this is a state that's on the grow, right? It tumbled 25 spots. In 2021, it was number 16 among all the states as far as growth in 2021. In 2022, it dropped down 25 spots and is now near the bottom of the pack. In fact, it's in the bottom 10, 41, uh, the bottom 10 of uh, growth states. Uh, the number of the, the departures, uh, in 2022 increased 3% year over year. Uh, that means a 3% more people departed Alaska in 2022 than they did in 2021. And in fact, all one way U-Haul truck traffic out of the state, uh, now accounts for, uh, 50, almost 52% of all the stuff out of, I mean, we got to get this fixed, folks. 
We've got to get this fixed. I mean, we just bam. We're not in great company, by the way. Uh, California, Illinois, uh, Michigan, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey. These are all the people who are in the bottom with us. These are places that are having some serious problems. And now Alaska's down in the bottom. Up on top for the sixth year, uh, fifth year in a row, Texas, then Florida, then the Carolinas. I mean, it's, oh, man, if we could only get, uh, if we could only get an Abbott or a DeSantis, you know, kind of situation going on with a legislature to match, maybe we could have some of those awesome growth numbers, some of those awesome, awesome growth numbers. I mean, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be fantastic? I, I mean, I've, Oh, baby, that's that's what I want right there. All right. Well, we've got um, we got more coming up. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke show continues. We're going to uh, be back in just a moment with David Eastman. He's going to be joining us and talking with us about what uh, happened during the whole trial thing and what does it mean for the future and where he's going. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Good morning. Hi, how are you? I don't know what's going You know, it's one of those mornings where something that's been working forever just arbitrarily broke. And this is bugging the hell, hell out of me. I got this one wild hair that just keeps sticking up. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly what's going on here. But uh, for some reason, my music bumper player thingy just arbitrarily decided to quit, quit working. Just arbitrarily decided to quit working. And I have no idea why. Welcome to the party. Well, there it works there. Yeah, I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on. Something broke and it's pissing me off. Yeah, it always works great until it breaks, says Bill. I'm a hundred percent with you, Bill. One hundred percent with you. Um, now that I fixed the brokenness, can I go back to the way it was? That's the question. We'll try that. See what happens there. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, that works. Let's try. See. No. Well, it's showing up. It's just not showing up for you. Okay. Well, you know what? I guess we'll uh, 
we'll just do with what we got. Oh, no. You know what? I can put it over here, can I? There we go. I'll do that. Okay. Let's see if that works. Let's see if that works. Yep, that works. Okay. Hi, guys. How you doing? Uh, we got to go see what's going on. Uh, coffee is needed this morning. This is my coffee mug my son bought me for Christmas. It's a beast. Oh, that coffee is so delicious. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, did you ever hear back from ham-waving freakoutery? No, I tried to reach that guy several times, and I don't know. I, you know, I ain't got time for people who won't even return an email or a comment or whatever else. So it's fine. I mean, I don't, he's, he's busy, but no, I'm not doing it. Um, let's see. Uh, it, it'll be dead last by spring. Can't grow the economy when people are moving out of the state in droves. Uh, it, it is a problem. It is, it is a problem. That is 100% for sure. How did I lose? Okay. Um, how much of that is military moving out to another location? Uh, asked Jason. I don't know, but it is, um, it's all proportional, right? I mean, because the, the military has been moving out every year since. This is an increase in actual numbers moving out versus numbers moving in. So, I mean, that's, again, that's all proportional. And it's not like this is a one-year thing. It's been happening in and out every year. <coughs> Sorry. I was almost laughing. Sorry about that. I started to laugh. Uh, Jer Jerica says, can we talk about the empty shelves in the grocery stores? Anyone tried to buy eggs this week? I know. Right. There was a, a sign on this on the door at Fred Meyers last week that was like national egg shortage and blah, 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 blah. And, oh, my God. I mean, and eggs went up like because we buy eggs by the five dozen. Right. We buy the big five dozen pack because we've got a bunch of people in our house. And it went up like 45 percent or something. Yeah, a little a little spooky. What's going on with uh, all this stuff? Uh, I, I mean, that's uh, yeah. It's kind of crazy. All right. Um, well, we're about 10 seconds out. So let's uh, rejoin the radio. Looks like uh, Representative Eastman is in the chat with us. We're ready to go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Uh, let's do it. All right, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show. We're continuing now with our guest, uh, David Eastman, representative here in the Matsu, is uh, jumping on board to join us. And uh, we're going to chat with him uh, here and kind of get a feel for what's going on. Let's bring him on to the program and start off fresh over here. Good morning, representative. How are you doing? Doing well. Good morning, Michael. 
Thanks for coming on board. I appreciate it. It's been an eventful. I mean, happy holidays. What a great holiday season for you, right? I mean, spending all day at the courthouse for days and days and days. Um, but it's been obviously an eventful election season and an eventful holiday. It's been a while since we've chatted. So, uh, I mean, I guess first things first, uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room. And that was the big uh, court case, which I think is just a, you know, a way to kind of chill free speech and, uh, and getting regular folks involved in the election process and everything. But let's, uh, let's get your take on everything and start fresh uh, from there. Let's start with the case itself. Sure. Well, um, you know, you've, you've watched what the federal government has done in terms of weaponizing the uh, intelligence agencies, the law enforcement agencies, the FBI and so forth. You've seen Twitter files. And you've seen how the federal government is taking a, a stake, if you will, in the election process, coming down for one candidate uh, against another candidate so forth. In this lawsuit, you've seen the same done with our uh, state court system, which has been weaponized and used to influence an election. Uh, in my case, it was the, the election that, that I was involved in, actually both of the elections that uh, I've been involved in in 2020 and 2022, because of course the, the court case was to overthrow both of those elections. And, um, and if you win the court case, then you only get to lose your ability to campaign because that's literally what they they stole from us was the ability to campaign because they filed the lawsuit in the middle of the election uh, and then required us to uh, gather and turn over more than 30,000 pages of documents to uh, supposedly you know demonstrate our innocence um, you know so much for innocent until proven guilty right uh, they denied us a jury trial uh, which is our right under the constitution they denied us the ability you know to to go door to door because there was no time to do that um we were either in court or preparing for court uh trying to raise money for court um you know the money that would have gone towards that campaign uh went to fighting their their law firm effectively uh same law firm that had already uh sued three other republican legislators here in alaska um, same law firm that's you know headed by uh, another elected official on the other side of the aisle and uh, but but don't worry uh, because the court came in to tell us that it's not political so therefore um, only the other side was able to you know accuse us of being biased and our witnesses of being biased and so forth and um, when we went to present that same type of evidence uh, in the trial the judge said no you can't do that uh, because uh, he is very confident this is not a political case Wow. Okay. I mean, it's good to know that he is omnipotent and understands how all that stuff works and and uh, and everything else. I mean, this has become. I mean, they've actually got a term for this now, uh, David, and that is, of course, lawfare. Right. I mean, it's warfare via the law. Basically, uh, you know, we're seeing it with you. We're seeing it, uh, Kevin McCabe, with the with the whole uh, uh, banning on Facebook. Uh, we've seen, uh, uh, you know, uh, code enforcement officers and uh, and adjusters and and all these other things. And it's basically the only ones really being affected, I guess, with the exception of Jennifer, uh, uh, Jenny Armstrong right now is is Republicans. It's it's time after time after time. We're the ones that are facing it. Uh, but there's a long term consequence to your case specifically in the fact that it has this chilling effect on anybody who might want to run for office. I mean, 
you know, I never thought Oath Keepers was a, I mean, I've been, I followed Oath Keepers probably 12 years ago or something. I interviewed a few people. They had some good articles. They had some things they were talking about. I never joined the organization, but I never in my wildest dreams would think that they were some kind of big boogeyman, um, uh, you know, out there. But you know, let's just say, for an example, you're 20 something years old and you join an organization that at its beginnings had a good start. And then 25 or 30 years later, the organization has taken a hard left turn, right turn. It's taken it's gone. It's gone bad, so to speak, uh, just because 30 years ago you or belonged to an organization or 10 years ago you belonged to an organization. But have done nothing wrong yourself. Now, everybody I mean, maybe it's not. Oath Keepers, maybe it's the NRA next year. Hey, you're a lifetime member of the NRA. You know, that that should preclude you from office because now the NRA is in trouble in New York and blah, 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 blah. I mean, this really opens up the door for a lot of things that are very, very dangerous. Yeah, well, you have, um, you know, various levels of problems with with what they did in this case. Um, and and the, the Oath Keepers in and of itself is, is one problem. But um, but realized that when they filed the, uh, the <clears throat> their first attack against me, this was January 7th, uh, 2021, so two years ago now, uh, and, and the attack that they launched then was, you're an enemy of the state, um, you need to be expelled from office, you need to resign or be expelled, and uh, they, they had the, the petition up and the website and the phone calls and the emails and, uh, and meetings and so forth, all of that because not I joined Oath Keepers because I attended a speech that President uh, Trump gave on January 6th. That was that was literally it. You are an enemy of the state because you attended uh, a speech from a canceled president. Um, you're, you don't have a right to do that. Well, if you do, you don't have a right to be elected. Uh, so we're going to expel you from office and we're going to overturn your election. That was bef- literally before I was even sworn into office for my two year term. I needed to be expelled you know, on the spot. Uh, and then eight months later, after eight months of beating that drum, they said, oh, well, I guess this isn't working. Um, oh, and you joined Oath Keepers. So therefore, you need to be expelled from office because you you went to a speech and you joined Oath Keepers. Now, they realized that argument also wasn't going to get them very far. So at the uh, the end of the trial, during the trial, they went back to, you know, case number one and said, you know, you attended a speech from the president. That's a, a, an act of insurrection under the 14th Amendment. You need to be expelled from office because doing that, you know, legally, you need to be treated like a, a defeated Confederate, you know, general in the Civil War. Literally, you know, we, we had a civil war in this country. It was on January 6th. Um, the, the Republicans lost. Therefore, the Marxists won. And now whatever was left of our Constitution is down the drain. I mean, that, that's basically how the argument went. Right. Right. Well, and and that's that's the problem. And the problem in the state of Alaska specifically is that our judicial system has some definite leanings to the left already. And you've already pointed out a couple instances where you're trying to fight back. Uh, I mean, uh, I found it interesting that uh, that the uh, uh, the plaintiffs in this case were, you know, bringing out these experts on just painting these horrible pictures about you know, Oath Keepers and these other groups and everything else, when the whole point was they were supposed to prove that you had done something wrong, that you had been, you know, part of this whole plot and everything. else. And of course, there's nothing there. I mean, the judge basically in his ruling said, well, <clears throat> he, you know, he's obviously was a member of the group, but you have absolutely no 
evidence that he supported their agenda, that he was part of it, that he went into the Capitol, that he did anything else. And so that's it. Uh, I mean, right. Am I am I reading the, the decision correctly? Yeah, well, they had to rewrite the Constitution just to get us to a trial. Uh, and and I, I don't want to overlook that part because the, the Constitution actually isn't that terrible when you actually look at what's in the Constitution, uh, particularly this provision, um, even though they were you know obviously abusing it and, and weaponizing it against the election and against the voters. Uh, but when you read the Constitution, it literally says, you know, hey, if there are organizations who advocate publicly advocate, I mean, that's that's the direct implication, who are advocating for the overthrow of the government, then you cannot, you know, in essence, from the, the house of the, the, you know, capital, from government, you can't be, you know, helping lead the charge to, um, you know, have a revolution to overthrow the government. That kind of makes sense when you think about it. Um, right. But but they, they decided that we're going to drop the word advocate Advocate has nothing to do with it. And before it was, you literally had to be, you know, involved in a group or support a group or aiding a group or joining a group that publicly advocates for something that is, you know, obviously against the government. And and they decided that well, they this group didn't actually do those things, so we'll just we'll just leave off the advocating bit. They're anti-government. You just give the group a label, and therefore a group who actually advocates against overthrowing the the constitution, which Oath Keepers does advocate against overthrowing the government. Right, right. Um, and we'll say, well, advocating isn't important. Um, you know, they they're anti-government, so secretly, again, not publicly, secretly, they're trying to overthrow the government, which is completely, you know, turning the Constitution on its head. Um, you know, even back in the fifties, the, the idea wasn't you join us a, a group that secretly advocates anything. It was you join the Communist Party who publicly advocate for overthrowing the government and are trying to convince people publicly to do that. And and that is something completely different than, well, we feel that your group, which may not publicly advocate for something, secretly, privately is anti-government, whatever that means. Right, exactly. And there's some ramifications to how this court case went down. And, and uh, we've got about three or four minutes in this segment. But I want to talk about that because there was a question, would Kowalki and company appeal this decision? Um, and it actually, although it obviously is very expensive for you, he's being represented pro bono by a social justice organization, right? Um, and so he, it's not costing him a dime. It's costing you tens of thousands of dollars to have to defend yourself. Um, and, uh, so while an appeal would have been expensive, it also may have been good because it would have set precedent in this case, and they wouldn't have been able to use this uh, avenue again. But since they saw that and they decided not to file the appeal. So does this happen to David Eastman or somebody else again here? Should we be expecting this in every election cycle at this point? Well, yeah, yeah, you have one branch of government, which has been weaponized in this case against a separate branch of government and against the people in, at the ballot box. So what, what they are, are basically arguing for is we are going to make an argument before the court that your election should be overturned. You are going to have to spend your time and money and, and your constituents, your supporters, your voters are going to have to spend time and money to defend their right to have their votes counted. And that literally is is what they were doing uh, to the tune of you know over two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. 
during an election cycle. So what they have now done is said um, anyone we target, i.e. conservatives, uh, conservative candidates or legislators or our conservative governor, it, it makes no difference. We have the right to declare them anti-government and then they have the right to spend, you know, in my case, you know, an extra 250, 260, 270,000 dollars trying to defend the right of those votes to count. So they just put a premium on conservative voters. Liberal voters have to spend nothing to have their votes counted. Conservative voters have to spend an arm and a leg to have those votes counted. And you're right, it, it, that has the direct implication on, well, who's going to run for office? Because they weren't suing me in my you know public capacity. They were suing the legislative branch by suing me personally and saying, all right, if you want to be a conservative candidate for office, um, you now need to be willing to you know, put your house for mortgage um, and and make sure or, you know, have an extra quarter of a million dollars, you know, lying around. Uh, again, their, their plaintiff has, has no skin in the game as far as financial uh, side of things because the courts will protect them from ever having to pay attorney's fees or anything like that. But you, even if you win, even if you are 1,000% innocent, you will have to pay just to play in the game, just to participate, just to run for office, just to serve in office. That is the weaponization of the courts against conservatives. To me, the biggest irony in this whole situation is that even while you're in the midst of all this, th you know, all this stuff in a three way race, you still won over 50 percent of the votes in your district. I mean, that to me basically means that this lawsuit is spitting in the face of your constituency who amidst all this stuff said, no, he's our guy. And and even. Even if you were, and I'm not saying that you were, but even if you were some kind of frothing at the mouth, government must come down kind of thing. If that's what 50 percent of your population and your constituency said, this is the guy we want to represent us. That's how the system is supposed to work. You're supposed to represent the people in your district. We're, I mean, you know, it, it, it just it boggles my mind. Yeah. And that's what is so, so offensive about this from, from the get go is um, you don't have any other state that I'm aware of. Um, you don't have you know, any other um, scenario where you have one branch literally saying, we don't have any justification or basis in the Constitution for doing so, but we are going to overturn your election and keep you from running for office. Again, what they argued and what the judge ordered the state to do in my case was they said, you have a constitutional statutory obligation to now make a subjective determination on every candidate who wants to run for office about whether or not they are uh, pro-government, loyal to the government, uh, not disloyal to the government. And, and you have to make that determination before you're allowed to put their name on the ballot. Not, not after the, the election takes place and, and we're making sure the election was run accurately. Before you even can run for office, the state needs to come in and needs to determine whether or not your political loyalties are uh, acceptable. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing and frustrating. And uh, I, I just I don't even know what happens in the future. I mean, do we take a page out of their book and start doing the same thing to them? Does then it become just, you know, open warfare? I, I don't know. Let's we'll continue this discussion on the other side. And we'll also talk about the upcoming session and organization and uh, and everything else. David Eastman is our guest. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment. It is The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more right after this.
We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, Rep. Uh, Eastman is uh, stepped away from the camera apparently for a second, so we'll continue with him here in just a moment. Um, uh, let me see what some of the comments are uh, here. Um, yeah, let's not forget, says Terry, that Representative McCabe is fighting a freedom of speech suit because he blocked a person from his personal Facebook page. Again, that's part of the whole lawfare thing. And remember, there's a whole thing about code enforcement and property valuation with him as well. And there are other people who are being you know, faced with the same kind of thing and, and everything else. This whole thing has been just, uh, you know, it's been crazy. Uh, David said, I've never been Eastman's biggest fan, but I definitely rooted for him to beat the Chargers. A loss would have set a very dangerous and unethical precedent. Congratulations on winning. I mean, look, I agree. You can agree with David or not. And he and I agree probably on a lot of stuff and disagree on a few things. But I thought this was absolutely ridiculous. He did not deserve to have to have this happen. But again, they're seeing success with this here and in other areas of the country. So it's uh, it's a very, very uh it's a very, very frustrating thing. And David, I had heard uh, that your, you know, that the that the legal bills were mounting, but two hundred and fifty thousand. I had no idea it had gotten up that high. I mean, are you are you? Uh, is there a legal defense fund? People can uh, throw a, a buck in the kitty or what? I mean, how in the world does any average person be able to pay for that without, like you said, having to mortgage their house, et cetera? Yeah, um, it, it is over $250,000 so far, uh, and those costs are, are still mounting while the case continues. But um, davidlegal.org is the website. Uh, we posted the legal documents and the court filings, and uh, you can watch the trial if you, if you missed it. Um, but davidlegal.org, um, and if you are on the side of freedom and you don't believe this sort of thing should happen uh, and you, you want candidates like myself, uh, others to be able to um, compete on on something of an even playing field, then yes, uh, please, please support us as you can and are able to. Uh, I've got constituents that have been holding off paying bills just to, to help us get through the trial, uh, just to uh, have their vote counted. Um, and and it's it's absolutely unconscionable. But but that is where we're at. Um, you have the left that is um, uh, reckless in, in their lust for power. And they will have it and they will get it in any way that they can by hook or by crook or by a corrupt FBI, whatever. It makes no difference. Uh, in this case, you know, you're, you're seeing that play out in an election and, uh, you know, a political inquisition, if you will, uh, using our court system. I'm looking back at the genesis of this, and I think the first time that I remember hearing about this was uh, probably during the Palin administration when Andy McDowell and many others were filing you know, legal ethical complaint after ethical complaint after ethical complaint. Uh, And I mean, it was like every week, every 10 days, there was a new complaint and they were fighting multiple fronts at the same time. And that eventually is why Sarah Palin resigned as governor, because she had she basically said, one, I've become ineffective. And two, 
she was not being defended by the state. She was being personally sued. And I think at the time they had had like 80 or $90,000 worth of legal fees just trying to defend these ethical lawsuits. I think that was the first time that I saw that. And they saw some success by hounding her out of office. And I think it's been used. Are, are, are you aware of other incidents around the state uh, that are similar to yours and hers and Kevin McCabe's? I mean, are you seeing those things? Uh, is this going to be part of the new you know, arsenal of weapons being used against every candidate out there that's on the right side of the fence? Sure. Well, you saw them uh, hound uh, Laura Reinbold out of office. She uh, chose not to run for re-election. Obviously, Sarah Palin chose not to, to run for re-election. There are certainly others. Uh, they also sued, you know, Peter Machicki, um, Kevin McCabe. Uh, the, the whole idea that um, that you can just use the, the courts as, as sort of your uh, plan B, if an election fails, if you if you don't have the ability to to have a competitive candidate uh, that's going to represent you and and you, you still want to make sure that the other guy doesn't win, we'll just use the courts to do it. And there's no legal recourse. I mean, there's no damages or court costs that can be awarded here. I mean, there could be, but the courts are or is it just in law? This is not available. No, because remember, we have a law that protects the Constitution. And protects the um, the ability of someone to uh, to intend to to defend the Constitution and to bring a court case to defend the Constitution. Uh, we don't have a law that says you know you can use the court you know for politics, uh, which is what was done in, in my case and some of these other cases. But if you have uh, a court system that's willing to turn a blind eye and and look the other way and and literally say during the trial. Um, you know, even though you're suppo- you're suing the candidate that you ran against and that you lost when you ran against uh, and you're trying to overturn the election that you lost. Well, we're going to t- sell, you know, tell the world and God and everybody that this isn't actually a political case. I mean, if you have a court that's willing to do that, then no, there, there is no reason. David Eastman is our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Jumping back into it. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. All right, we're continuing now. David Eastman is our guest. Uh, just during the break here, uh, my last question to Representative Eastman was about the court costs. And because the judge declared that this wasn't a political case, then the the defendants aren't entitled to court costs if they win. So this is a judicial decision. The judge has decided that. It could happen the other way around. I mean, if, if this... If if you would if you win this case, which you did, but if you had won the case and the judge had not made that decision, then you would be eligible to recoup the court costs from these uh, from the plaintiffs on this. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Well, you know, even better is a judge that's willing to look at what the Constitution actually says, and and based on that, you can say, all right, well, here's the accusation. The accusation is that you joined uh, an organization that doesn't advocate for anything remotely close to overthrowing the government. Therefore, there's no trial. Therefore, you don't have, you know, more than a quarter million dollars of, of 
expenses for the defendant. And in this case, that, those are just my costs. That's not the, the cost to the public in terms of the, the judicial process and, and the judge and the clerk and the courtroom and, and all the rest of it, uh, not to mention the cost from you know the plaintiff and their attorney's fees and so forth. Right. Um, you wouldn't have had any of that. You wouldn't have had um, the election would have had no impact whatsoever because that provision of the Constitution doesn't have anything to do with elections, doesn't have anything to do with candidates or running for office. It simply says once you are already in office, and that's not elected office, once you're in office, whether you're the dog catcher, whether you're you know, the governor, or whether you're some state employee somewhere in between, you know, this applies. It has nothing to do with how you get hired, it has nothing to do with how you get elected. It just has to do with once you're already in office, are you loyal to the Constitution? Are you trying to throw overthrow the government? Uh, but but if you set that aside and you set aside, you know, advocating like we talked about earlier, then you can create a trial for anything in this case, because you're willing to um, treat the Constitution as though it was something else that gave you that opportunity. When in this case, it, there was no opportunity to sue someone in this case. David Eastman's our guest uh, here. David, let's uh, move on a little bit here. Uh, we got about eight, nine minutes uh, before the end of the sh- uh, this hour. Um, this upcoming session, I mean, we've seen how the... We've seen how the chips have fallen. We've seen what the election looks like. We've seen what's happened already in the organization of the Senate. Uh, organization of the House still kind of up in the air with your trial was going on now that that's decided. But we still haven't heard what's going on with the Jenny Armstrong thing. Is that going to be decided? What's going on from your perspective uh, in the organization of the House? And what do you see as being some of the big issues that, uh, you know, more conservative, smaller government people are going to be facing in this upcoming session, I guess we'll take the sure. organization first and then move on to the big issues. Yeah, well, I, uh, I did sit in uh, after my trial was done. You know, they had the, the trial in essence for uh, Jenny Armstrong's uh, seat. And uh, I had a chance to, to sit in and talk with folks there and, and watch the attorneys, you know, making their arguments and so forth. Um, I was surprised there weren't more uh, legislators uh, in the room because uh, again, these types of, of elections determinations, uh, the Constitution specifically provides that the legislature is is the judge of the elections and, and returns of, of its own members. Um, again, not the courts, not uh, not in Jenny Armstrong's case, not in my case. Um, the, the final decision making is goes to the legislature. And, and what you saw in this case, uh, in my case, and, and also in some of these others, is an attempt to to turn that on its head as well and say, well, the the courts can tell the legislature who's in the legislature and who's out of the legislature. And that's that is not our um, our, our arrangement. Uh, the legislature is is a, a sovereign branch of government, um, and it has the the specific express right to decide, you know, who is in it. Not not the governor, not anybody in the executive branch, not the attorney general, and certainly not a judge, uh, not the Supreme Court. Um, and so you've got that case, which is playing itself out. Um, mine is is technically over, and now there's you know motions for things like expert fees and those sorts of things. Those will continue for um, as long as they do. And and both of those have impacted uh, certainly organization. They've impacted you know how many Republicans are are we expecting to to have uh, in Juno? But um, you know I, I would just say the the inside baseball on on who gets to have which committee seat and and who gets to be speaker and all that sort of stuff while it's uh amusing and entertaining to to some and and we're watching that play out in dramatic fashion in washington dc in the u.s house right now really what it's coming down to is 
um, you know, do conservatives have a voice? Um, theoretically, you're allowed uh, as a, a voter to be part of an election and to have a representative that um, that speaks for you, or at least um, you had an impact in in um, you know electing them, and and they get to to look to you for your thoughts and ideas and and agenda and so forth. Um, but but the left is coming in and saying uh, no, you know, we we don't really think that that's such an important part of of our uh, you know form of government. Right. And so you have a caucus that comes in and says, hey. Um, you know, you, you need to represent the caucus. Uh, you're not here to represent your district or, or your constituents. You're here to represent us. And, and we're going to be, you know, a, a great um, uh, ambassador for, for Alaskans, for voters, and, and including your district. So, um, so come and, and be part of a caucus. But, uh, but don't do that unless, you know, you're here to um, represent the caucus, whatever that means. Um, and and so we have gone completely off the rails uh, in this state. Uh, you watch what happened in the Senate. Um, you had eight, including my own state senator, uh, eight uh, Republican senators who, in fact, told the voters, you know, you, you elected us as Republicans, but you might as well have elected the Democrat who was running against us or, or might have run against us because here we're joining the Republican caucus or we're joining the Democrat caucus. And, uh, you know, if you thought you were getting something different, well, sucks to be you. Right. No, it's uh, it's definitely frustrating. I mean, I could see it coming from a mile away, but it's it's like the train wreck that you just can't look away from. Uh, last couple minutes here. Priorities and big things you think we're going to be facing in the session. What are what what do you think that we're going to be facing this session that uh, we as smaller government conservatives need to be concerned about and need to be fighting over? What are you seeing? Yeah, well, I think um, in, in this state, it's it's all the problems that we should be facing that we will refuse to face. And that, that will be the next two years. Uh, and you'll, you'll look and you'll see um, the things that need to happen, uh, reforms to our, our election system, uh, reforms to election integrity, um, things that uh, certainly the voters in my district uh, you know, are putting in the, the top bracket of priorities that we need to focus on. You will watch all the excuses and all the reasons why um, you know, those types of, of problems will not be solved. And and we'll have, uh, you know, we'll blame the, the Senate, uh, we'll blame the Democrats, you know, we'll blame the, the courts, whoever it is we need to, we'll, we'll find an excuse and we'll blame them, um, whether it's protecting the dividend and, and following the law there. Again, we'll, we'll have a, a long list of excuses for why it is that, um, that those, those problems won't be addressed. And, and we'll, we'll ask, you know, for, um, you know, more votes and, and more legislators and or more Republicans or whatever it is. Um, and, and frankly, you know, that isn't going to solve it either. Um, those in Juneau, many of them, uh, do not want to solve these problems. They haven't for the six years that I've been in the, the state house and they will continue to not want to solve those problems. And if the people, um, accept and are, are, um, willing to tolerate these excuses, then those problems will continue to not, not be solved. David Eastman, representative uh, here for the Matsu. Uh, appreciate you coming on board and uh, sharing with us your thoughts and uh, your experiences here on this. Um, again, I'm very concerned about any citizen legislator or somebody who would like to become a citizen legislator being stymied by this process and being put off by it. And I think really that's ultimately the reason behind it. I think that's ultimately the motivation for what's going on here. So keep up the fight uh, and uh, keep us informed. We'll visit with you again here in another uh, few weeks and see how things are going. Uh, appreciate you coming on board and joining us this morning. Thank you for being part of it. 
Thank you, Michael. Best of luck. All right. Appreciate that, folks. We are out of time for this segment. Hour two dead ahead. Justin Ruffridge is going to be our guest. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Yeah, I mean, I again, it, it's one of those things where it's like working as intended. It's all working as intended. This is the whole point, right? This is the whole point to this whole thing uh, at this uh, at this juncture. All right. Um, what do we got here? Uh, thank you, David Eastman, for being part of the show today. We appreciate it. Uh, we're going to remove him from the green room, and then we're going to go over to our new guest, uh, Justin Ruffridge, who is uh, waiting in the wings, so to speak. Uh, we'll test his connection here in just a hot second and make sure once he's uh, up and running uh, that he is good to go. Um Anthony, I think, kind of <clears throat> he conceptualizes everything that I just said in a in a very concise little package. He says, in all seriousness, seriousness, though, the fact that someone can weaponize the legal system to the effect that even though you win a case, but in doing so, you find yourself two hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand dollars in the hole. That should concern everyone. And that's the case. I mean, that's exactly where we're at right now, right? I mean, he won the case. Yay! You get a prize. Oh, and a bill for a quarter of a million plus dollars. I mean, and this is, again, this is a guy who won over 50% of the vote in a three-way race. And now for the for the privilege of being able to serve and represent, you got to pay 250000 I mean, that's insane. That is that is absolutely insane. And the fact that the judge was like, oh, this is not a political case. Uh, what? Working as intended. I think that is the bottom line for sure. <laughs> it's a club dues. You've Brian just said it's club dues. Um, you're in the wrong club if that's the case. I mean, if if that's the case, you are in the wrong club. I mean, it's uh, it's unfortunate, absolutely unfortunate. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and Kevin again pointing out not just the legal system. I mean, it's lawfare, right? They're using the legal system and the bureaucracy. It's not just legal system; it's other things. Kevin says not just the legal system. Uh, system. Mark Kelsey also went to the Matsu Borough and had them do a special assessment on my home. Oh, I think I'd be suing the borough over that. How can you do a special assessment on just one property at the direction of somebody else? I mean, was there a complaint? Is there a is there a complainant? Is there a an anonymous reporting system? I mean, what again? They are weaponizing. The bureaucracy. <sighs> Weaponizing it. Weaponizing it. Um, Politic says, later today, I'll be live with David Haig breaking down the grand jury investigation into Alaska's judicial corruption. I can't wait to see what happens with that. 
I know that I was trying to get uh, Representative Ben Carpenter on to talk with us about what's going on in the session. We were going to touch on that. Uh, we're going to try and get him on next week to continue that discussion. Uh, Justin Ruffridge is, uh, well, he's in the green room, but he is, uh, he's, he's in the green room, but he is, oh, there he is. He popped up. Okay. I was like, the screen was blank and I was just like, what's going on here? I want to make sure that, um, I want to make sure that, uh, the audio video and everything else is working. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Good, good. Okay. All right. We're making sure that everything sounds good and looks good and uh, we're ready to go. A hard act to follow with all that stuff going on there in the legal. I mean, let me ask you a question real quick before we come on. I mean, if you had had to face a $270,000 bill after winning your election, would that chill your enthusiasm for going after an elected office? I mean... You're a brand new elected <laughs> official, right? I mean, so would would you be like, whoa, am I, do I really want to run for office? I got to pay a quarter of a million dollars. I, I, I actually talked to a lot of people, um, you know, in campaigning and then since post-election and most people have the, uh, the opinion of you are insane if you want to run for office, just, just because it is a mess everywhere. Right. Um, including, um, yeah, a potential lawsuit. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that the average person would go like, wait a second, I'm not doing this for the money. And I'm certainly not going to pay a big chunk of my retirement for the opportunity to represent. Every, I mean, but I guess that's what they're counting on. And especially when you've got, you know, pro bono, nonprofit, social justice projects and everything else. And a judge that won't allow you to recoup, you know, you want to stop this thing in the bud. You just make sure that whoever wins gets awarded all the court costs, because if the social justice or the Northern Justice Project or whatever, if they had to fork over a check for three hundred thousand bucks, it would probably slow their roll a little bit. You know what I mean? All right, uh, we're coming up against it here. We're about one minute out, so Justin, I'm going to throw you back in the green room for just a second. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back uh, in uh, in a hot minute. The Michael Duke Show continues, uh, folks. Don't forget to, uh, <laughs> yeah, that is my first interview. Kevin McCabe is right. This is almost always my first interview question to any newly new candidate who's never run for, when exactly did you lose your mind, right? I mean, that is exactly the first thing that I say to them because, like, what made you think that this was a good idea? Remember, I've run for office, and I know that insanity before. I've served on an assembly. I know what it's like. Uh, all right. Anyway, don't forget to like and share, like and follow. Don't forget to subscribe and ring the bell. Don't forget to be part of the Patreon here, the YouTube Common Sense Core. Here we go. Uh, we're jumping back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal.
the, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Uh-huh, across the world on the internet at uh, MichaelDukeShow.com, uh, where you'll find links to the audio-only podcast, uh, links to my social media sites where we simulcast the show, and yes, even links to um, our our um, um, our podcast. Did I say podcast already? No, but it's podcast, where you can find a CastBox, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, my favorite place and all that. And, of course, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on terrestrial radio, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator across the entire state. Welcome to the program. It is the Thursday edition of the show. Busy day today. We just finished up with Representative David Eastman talking about his recent court case over his eligibility because he belonged to uh, Oath Keepers. And uh, the ramifications of that and everything else. Uh, moving on in this hour to our new guest, uh, who is the brand new uh, brand new representative uh, for down there on the peninsula. Uh, Justin Ruffridge uh, is joining us this morning. Let's jump over here to him and uh, say good morning and get the ball rolling. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Um, did I mute? I'm sorry. I muted you. I apologize. Good morning. How are you doing? Let's try that again. I said, yeah, good morning, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate you coming on. You know, I know there's a lot of, uh, people who are upset. You defeated the incumbent and I know that there's some angst in the community and stuff about that, but I was appreciative that you returned my call, uh, you know, quickly and, and we're more than happy to come on board. And even, you know, I don't know if, you know, what you and I are going to agree or disagree on, but if nothing else, there should be a conversation. And I think that that's important for us to, I think that's important for us. I think we all need to be able to do that. So uh, we're going to talk about some of the things. I mean, first and foremost, I just asked you this during the break, and and let me ask you it again because um, I think it's relevant. Since you are a brand-new elected official, just recently elected, uh, and you've just gone through the whole process of the campaign and everything else, uh, you know, looking back on what just happened to Representative Eastman, as a brand-new candidate, if you were faced with having to pay $250,000, $300,000 in legal fees after you have actually won the race and your constituency said, yes, this is the guy that we want. I mean, would, would that have a chilling effect? I mean, as a new, what do you say as a new candidate, if you were faced with a $300,000 bill, would that change your mind on whether or not you wanted to represent your constituency? Yeah, of course. I, I think that there's a lot of people's minds being changed daily on whether or not they would like to run for elected office or not. Um, there is a little bit of uh, conviction, I would say, is the right word uh, to, that you have to have in order to run for office, that you're doing the right thing. Uh, I think you heard that from from David uh, in the previous segment. You know, that's a person who's convicted um, and wants to continue to serve. Um, and isn't isn't backing down um and that's i think every single person that chooses to run for office certainly has to have that um 
that level of commitment to doing what they believe is right. Um, and that's, that isn't, uh, that isn't everybody. I'll, I'll tell you that. And right. there's a lot of people I talk to who would, uh, who would sooner, uh, yeah, get on a one-way trip to Mars than, than run for office. So. Well, and I think it disqualifies a lot of people. I mean, look, you know, running for a public office, I mean, depending on how contentious the seat is or anything else, I mean, it's a twenty twenty five thousand $25,000, you know, deal to run for statewide office generally, right? I mean, that's probably twenty to 25000 is what most candidates probably spend, uh, you know, higher in some areas, lower in some others, but that's probably a pretty good feel for it. And of course, all that money is raised from the constituency and everything else. But if all of a sudden you had to be faced with a quarter of a million dollars on top of that after it, and you may be personally on the hook for it, you may not be able to raise the money through donations or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of people who would say, whoa, 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 I'm not putting my whole life in jeopardy for something like this. And that has, I mean, that that has a damaging effect on our representational form of government. I mean, it is, a, you know, on the, the democracy side of our constitutional republic. I mean, it, it is it completely, to me, seems to be antithetical to that idea of, uh, of, you know, representing and running for office and freedom of speech and having a free society. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I, one of the impetuses, I guess, behind my decision to run was uh, – actually being somewhat frustrated um in election after election sort sort of saying um are these the so these are the candidates um <laughs> how did we end up with these uh you know couple of people um and that that's that's at the federal level state level local level sometimes you just wonder are the, is, are these the best of us that, that we're choosing to represent us and so um you know i i uh I had a slogan on my uh, my information about being the change, and I uh, I certainly hope that that's true in in uh, in my time in the house uh, to try to be somebody that people say, well, I'm, I think that that was a good choice, and I'm glad he ran. All right, so the election is over. You uh, you know you're you've gone through all your new uh, elected official training and all the stuff that they have you do and everything else. Obviously, uh, nobody's down in Juneau yet, but we're close. What are we? Ten days, twelve days now from the session start, and uh, we're getting uh, we're 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 getting right up to it. So walk us through what's been happening with Justin Ruffridge uh, between uh, you know between election day and now. What uh, what are you looking at? What are you what's happening? Well, uh, the first thing you you touched on it already is you start learning what it's going to take to sit in a seat. Um, I thought the legislative affairs group did a great job of putting together a training and getting you all the information that you need to uh, to be ready to uh, do your job. Um, there's a lot of a uh, lot of phone calls, um, a lot of paperwork to fill out, um, a lot of uh, upending of your life. Uh, specifically, if you don't live in Juneau, you got to be prepared to. Uh, Put things on a boat and uh, and head down down that way. Um, there's a lot of planning that's taking place. Um, a lot of uh, different um, organizations and groups of people who want to, you know, get in a little bit of time before you head to Juno. Um, hiring staff. I mean, it is uh, it's a whirlwind. Um, I think that's uh, uh, probably the best description of it. Yeah. No. Definitely. I've never done it at the state level, but I've done it. Uh... And it, and it it really is like taking a sip from a fire hose for your first time around because you're trying to uh, you know ingest all the information and the do's and the don'ts and what's legal and what's not and everything else. It's definitely educational. I'll put I'll put it that way. Um, 
Justin, let's talk a little bit here about what's happened in the Senate. Of course, again, you're brand spanking new, so you don't necessarily understand the full ramifications. But as an outsider looking in as to what happened with the organization and the majority formation in the Senate, um, you know, a lot of people are are upset, bent out of shape. You know, they got 11 Republicans who were elected and they thought, oh, sure. So this is a shoe in for what's going on. And then, of course, the sandbaggery happened. And the next thing you know, there are three conservative Republicans who are sitting on the outside uh, like redheaded stepchildren and everybody else is like, nope, we're, we're going to do this and, and we're taking over. Uh, your thoughts on uh, the current formation of the Senate uh, majority? You know, what do you think it means? What, uh, you know, what, what, what are you learning about it and your thoughts on it? Well, I have uh, certainly a number of thoughts, I guess, in that area. The first thing I'll say is, you know, the Senate certainly is a different, a different uh, beast than, than the House. You have a smaller number of people. It seems like there's a lot more concentration of, you know, um, I guess, incumbents in that area. From what I could tell, you know, that some of that organization was, you know, um, thought through and decided long before, you know, the election had uh, had taken place. And so um, there was there's an idea that was formed about wh whether or not this would be something that people would pursue post-election or not. Um, the House, um, in my experience thus far, is uh, is completely different. Um, we have, you know, a um, a much greater number of people. Almost half of us are newly elected people, um, and you know there is a uh, there's almost the exact opposite effect happening in the House right now, where there's just a lot of people trying to get to know each other and figure out, uh, you know. <laughs> what's the way that this group fits together, especially seeming uh, that we're split, you know, essentially right down the middle um, with uh, with our numbers based off of, you know, party affiliation and things of that nature. So um, I think the the House or, or the Senate organization essentially sets the tone, though, for what this session is going to look like. Um, you know, I think that, you know, any sort of piece of legislation uh, that makes it out of the House, uh, including the budget, you know, it's going to have to uh, to deal with a, a lot of different, um, you know, maybe ideologically not aligned uh, groups of people um, in the Senate. And so um, it, it is it has set a tone, I think, for what this session is is going to be able to accomplish um, as far as, uh, you know, nobody's necessarily going to be getting um, a, a, a bill through both houses that, uh, you know, only one one side or the other. Uh, likes, I think. So um, that's that's my take on it. I think that's the the sense that I'm getting is that the tone has been set by the Senate for what what some of the uh, the possibilities in this session might be. You you mentioned something here just in passing as a uh, as not a throwaway line, but just in passing that I think uh, has actually deeper ramifications. And you you made the mention that in the House side that a huge number of members in the House are fresh and brand new. Um, now on the national scene, and normally I don't cover national politics, but I mean, even I am seeing what's going on down in the Congress, right? With what are we up to seven, eight votes now on the speaker and everything else. Um, and I was just talking about former Congressman, uh, 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 Justin Emosh basically said, look, this is an oligarchy. 
We've got a few people at the very top controlling essentially everything. Uh, you know, there's no debate on the floor. There's no amendments offered. There's no everything's being controlled from the speaker's position. And I was reminded like, oh, you mean like in Alaska? Because that's kind of the same thing here. I mean, and you just mentioning the fact that we have all these new people. Is there a danger in your mind? And look, and again, very limited experience at this point, but just at the outside looking in, is there a danger in your mind of the old guard, the business as usual crowd, whoever, who are in positions of leadership, basically taking the reins and... I mean, not, not, you know, hornswoggling or whatever, but, you know, kind of basically just controlling everything because there is such a large, fresh batch of legislators. Uh, is, is that, are you concerned at all about that? Um, well, now I am. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not concerned about that at all. I, I would say, um, more than anything, uh, you know, the, the newly elected folks that I've had the privilege of getting to know over the course of the last month and a half, this is not a, um, an inexperienced group of people. Um, you know, none of us with the exception of a couple, um, yeah, Craig and Dan had served in the legislature before, but we've all had service, uh, either on borough assemblies or state boards and commissions or city councils. And, you know, this process isn't exactly, um, you know, uh, the same, but it's also not that different. And so I think we have uh, some experience that we're coming in with that, you know, does help guide what, what we're capable of, of doing. I think a lot of us came in with, um, you know, a very clear, um, you know, message from our constituents about what, what we should be working on. Um, and, and actually I've been very surprised to, to hear, you know, um, a very broad support for you know just getting work done um because the truth is is there's actually a lot of work that needs to be done in our state uh, house this year um you know we're still dealing with uh, deficits in our budget we're dealing with uh, a large budget um and there's a lot of things that uh, if you knocked on any doors during your race at all you heard from your constituents hey we'd really appreciate if you went down there and uh, got uh, got your act together and got some work done. So people are actually kind of tired of what we're seeing at the U.S. House level right now, um, which is, you know, on the outside looking in again, somewhat, you know, ineffective. And, and there's uh, not a lot of work getting done because people are, are grandstanding or getting their moment in the sunshine. And um, I, I don't see a lot of patience for that from uh, at least the people I've been speaking to. Well, let me let me counterpoint that just for, for for a second here. We've only got a minute or so. But I mean, I, I think Amash made in this interview that I watched, I mean, he made some very valid points. I mean, we haven't had an amendment from the floor in the House for 14 years. Just a, a spontaneous amendment. Everything has to go through the speaker. Everything has the the debate, the rhetoric, the you know the the back and forth, the stuff done in the public eye has vanished, and now it's being again controlled by a very few people who are saying we'll make the decisions for you. We'll we'll drop a six thousand page omnibus bill on your desk. You know, 12, 14, 30 hours before we're supposed to vote on it. It's all been decided behind the scenes. And I think more and more people are being frustrated by that. Not that Congress is not getting work done, but that the the process has become so behind. The, and we've seen the same thing happen in the Alaska House three years ago. 
They dropped a substitute budget bill 90 minutes before the vote. It was a complete substitution from what the House had been working on. And leadership just brought it out and said, here it is. Take it or leave it. Oh, by the way, we're a binding caucus, so you got to all vote for it. I mean, it it it's that kind of stuff that I think frustrates a lot of Alaskans. Your thoughts quickly here. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right on that as well. One of the things that I, I will say quickly is if that's the case, especially what's happening in the U.S. House, I would challenge those those individuals who want to make change um, to get the votes. Um, that's what we well, that's what it comes down to. Um, so 20 people aren't going to change much except for, you know, uh, getting a message across. Um, and uh, it's important that your message, you know, you got to build your influence first. Uh, you have to be able to uh, do some work behind the scenes in order to know that change, if you're going to make it, you have the votes to do it. Um, and I think you know, I, I would be supportive of that. And I think there's obviously change that does need to happen in our processes, both state and nationally. But you got to have the support to do it. Justin Ruffridge is our guest. We're going to continue with him. When we get back, we're going to talk more about the organization of the House and uh, where he stands on that. And then we will finish up with uh, big issues and what he'd like to accomplish and more. It's all dead ahead. It's the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Ooh, we're running a little bit late there, but we're good. We we made it in under the wire. Uh, I mean, that's the thing, Justin. I see a lot of people talking about, and again, the, the parallels to me are what's so striking about what's happened in the Alaska House and what's going on in the Congress right now. The parallels are so uh, amazing to me. A lot of people are frustrated. Oh, stop the grandstanding and everything. And you said, get the votes if you want to make the change. And that's the thing. That's where we're at right now. Nobody has the votes to put in the business-as-usual crowd, and because people are tired of what's been happening in the business-as-usual crowd. I mean, there was swan songs and parties and all this recognition for Nancy Pelosi, but she ruled that place with an iron fist. There, nothing, Not a hair fell out of place that she wasn't smoothing back down. There was no discussion on the floor. There was no, you know, some of the classic Mr. Smith goes to Washington give and take uh, about this kind of stuff. And that's how that was originally designed. That whole process, you know, Congress being stalemated, was kind of what the framers intended. They did not intend for the making and passing and creation of laws to be this super smooth process. It was supposed to be convoluted so that American freedom would remain as long as possible. I mean, that's I mean, that was the it was it was working as intended. And over the course of the last you know hundred years, they have smoothed out all the rough edges, so to speak, and made it this streamlined process where just a handful of people are in control. And again, the parallels in the Alaska legislature are not lost on me. We're seeing the same thing. We saw it, you know, two years ago when the the Senate leadership was basically just steering the ship. And if you got out of line, they basically cracked you back into a closet in the basement and said, don't, you know, bad boy, don't come out again until the end of the end of the session. I mean, it's not supposed to be a smooth process. Well, I mean, is it or in or am I wrong? What's your thoughts? No, I don't think democracy is smooth at all. Um, and I think that uh, it's going to take a lot of work. I think this uh, this actually speaks to exactly what we started talking about here, which is, um, you know, uh, discouraging people from running for office. In, in a lot of cases, maybe, you know, are, do we have our best and brightest that we're sending to do this work, right? 
uh, who in, in some cases would stand up and, or maybe not allow some of these, um, you know, uh, uh, circumstances to occur where some one group is essentially just smoothly getting their way. Um, you know, and, and maybe that is exactly why we see 20 people um, standing up. And I think those 20 people will end up affecting change. I think it will be a good change. Uh, I've read this morning already that there is uh, some concessions being made about the rules, uh, maybe taking some of the power away from the Speaker of the House. Um, and, uh, you know, I think for that matter, it's it's not grandstanding. They're they're accomplishing some change uh, by by the actions that they're taking. So, um, I think that there's a responsibility of people if they care about democracy to certainly sit up and pay attention to what's going on, uh, and if if need be, uh, run for office. Um, we've somewhat missed that. I've I've been surprised to hear how many people just have checked out of what actually goes on in the state or in the national level. And it's just, it's something that they don't enjoy. They don't want to pay attention to. And uh, maybe some of that is, is why we get, you know, some of this, uh, some of these actions being taken by politicians. Well, um, yeah, I mean, quite honestly, I think it's one of the reasons why uh, we've become so polarized in this country. There are many people who have basically, and I mean, I'm one of them. I, I basically have thrown my hands up because I cannot affect change in Washington, D.C. directly. Even if I got 100 people together, uh, all thinking exactly like me, I would have a very, very hard time influencing any kind of political change in Washington, D.C. So I've set that aside because, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick, right, says the old proverb. And so if I hope I can make a difference, but that's what we've been trained. We've been trained with a 24-hour news cycle and everything else to just Oh, you can and people pay attention to that and they just become outraged. And there's a reason for that. Right. I can affect change at the local level. That's what I'm focusing on here. And we need to be able to make sure that we are not following the steps of what's happening. That's that's what I'm seeing. Following the steps of what's happening uh, in the Congress right now. Uh, are uh, you uh, not concerned that maybe the uh, state of Alaska talk? the U.S. House, how to do it. <laughs> oh, that could be. Monkey see, monkey do the other direction. Justin Ruffridge, our guest, hold the line. We're back with more of The Michael Duke Show. Okay, we're back uh, here continuing with uh, Representative-elect Justin Ruffridge from down on the peninsula. What was District uh, 30 and is now District 6? Am I right? Five? Seven. 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 It'll only take me two years to figure it out, and then I'll have to relearn it when it gets swapped over again. Uh, Justin Ruffridge, our guest, um, and we're continuing now. Just finished uh, kind of talking up about, uh, you know, the ramifications, kind of the parallels between what's happening in Congress and what's happening in the state legislature and the court case and all that. But let's move on to the organization of the House, um, because, again, things up in the air. Now, Eastman's case is over, so he's going to be elected. They're not going to appeal. So he is in the seat now. So that's one more on the Republican side, the Jenny Armstrong case. I have been able to find almost anything about it, but it's apparently going to be decided within this week, uh, is what I'm hearing. 
uh, and that could go either way. But even if it's if it's balanced, we, we basically have an even split in the House right now. So there's a lot of uh, questions. Uh, we know Louise Stutz has already said she's going to continue to be with the current leadership. So that's throwing the balance off and everything else. And so last year it took a month for the House to organize. And there was some defections and people and some upset and everything else. And I think you and I talked about this when you were running for office. And my question was, would you remain with the Republican um, caucus, whether it was in a minority or a majority, or would you go across the aisle to be part of a coalition majority and everything else? And your answer was what? Um, my answer was I would not be joining a Democrat-led co- coalition. Um, that continues to be my answer. There's uh, boy, there's a yeah, there's a lot going on there. I mean, a lot of the conversations that occur, um, you know, is a lot of it is just relationship building. But at the same time, I think each person is trying to figure out, you know, is there something um, that makes you know, an offer to another person, you know, reasonable, um, could, could we work with that? And I mean, we were talking just a second ago about the, the news cycle. Um, you know, certainly we have, you know, um, we have a news cycle here in Alaska. We see, we, we like politics, um, you know, the Michael Duke show, um, you know, exists in, in a lot of large part because people like to talk about, uh, some of these things and it's sure. important to have that out there. Um, but you know, there you'd be, and maybe you're not surprised, but you know, shows like this shows like others, some of the, uh, you know, things that are written on the internet, they do actually have a, a, a an effect and people, you know, think about what's going to be said about them, you know, publicly before they make a decision. And that's not unique to Republicans, Democrats, or independents, but, you know, there is a thought of, um, you know, well, what, what will be, what will be the news, uh, of tomorrow? Uh, and so that, that is, I think, a, a, a present in people's minds when they're working on making a decision. And so any decision about organization, I think comes down to what, what do you hope to get done, uh, as a group, because that's, that's what you're going to have to, uh, that's what you're going to have to, uh, I think focus on because you're not going to be aligned ideologically, not even within, I think each group, is there a perfect ideological, you know, match. And so we're, we're, uh, I think I think we're making good strides towards having that, uh, you know, um, that series of things that we want to accomplish. So. Well, and it's interesting to me uh, looking back, and I've been covering state of Alaska politics for twenty four years now, and watching what's happened in the legislature. And there was a time uh, back in the day when a coalition caucus, a caucus of both Republicans and Democrats wasn't necessarily a bad thing. There was a time when the Republicans, basically the Bush, the Democratic Bush caucus would join with the Republicans and they'd get some concessions for the Bush and that was the, and that was the power base. Um, but I guess the difference uh, to what it is today, because again, a coalition caucus today is almost a dirty word. Uh, but back in the day, it was because I think it was mostly controlled by Republicans. And today the assumption is, is that it will be controlled even in the current Senate makeup, even that is that it'll be controlled by Democrats. And so um, is there a scenario where you see the Republican, uh, the Republican caucus taking uh, the majority, but doing so by bringing in a handful of people uh, as long as they retain control? Is that something that, you know, I mean, 
what to your mind is is that acceptable uh, or are you one of the purists? I know there's some people who said, I won't be part of a thing that has any Democrats or independents in it or whatever. I mean, or, or is there a middle ground somewhere in there as long as the smaller government conservatives uh, or, you know, fiscal conservatives retain control of the caucus? You know, tell me which scenario works best for you. Yeah, I think this is a question of, um, you know, do do you want to govern? Um, and I think that that is a, a good question. And I think, you know, the, the answer to that that I'm hearing, you know, from the conversations I'm having specifically within our Republican uh, caucus is, yeah, that's uh, we've we've sat in the minority for uh, maybe a little too long. Um, and and the hope is that we can have an opportunity to govern. Uh, during this 33rd session, um, you know, the part of that that you just touched on is that the numbers aren't there. And so we're going to have to, um, you know, uh, align with or bring into our caucus a handful, in some cases, people to make that happen. So what do we align around that? And that's what I was saying in in that previous uh, sentence was we have to have something that that brings that group um, into alignment about what what work can be accomplished. And so, um, yeah, I think the answer to your question would be, um, I think there is an opportunity there for Republicans to um, to organize a group, um, maybe with, uh, you know, a couple of people that we don't typically uh, have in a Republican caucus. But that's that's what it will take to govern in this current uh, House climate. Um, and, uh, I think that's probably the best, uh, the best solution going forward. Uh, certainly what I would support, um, not just up to me, but, uh, sure, yeah, sure. I no. that would be a good solution. Well, last one, I guess what I was looking at is that it's not a deal breaker. I know for some it's a deal. Oh, we can't have anything, you know, it's a deal breaker, you know, for them almost. And, and so at least you are open to that idea. Um, and I mean, I, I think that's good. And you talked about, I, uh, you know, ideological matching and, and the divide that nobody is going to agree a hundred percent of the time. And I have pontificated over the last couple of years that maybe we need to stop looking at forming caucuses based strictly on political party. Maybe we need a short-term caucus that has like one single focus. Last year I proposed, why don't we just have a pro PFD caucus, right? Regardless of what your what what animal you wear on your lapel, just give me a pro PFD caucus versus the anti PFD caucus. And and even though the PFD issue seems to have faded into the background now, we're going to have you know pro big government versus pro fiscal responsibility caucus. I think is what it's going to. And if you could if you could capture a couple independents or Democrats who are willing to be more fiscally responsible. Um, then maybe you could set up a caucus based on just a couple. Of, you know, it has to be 90% of our ideals match up. Maybe we could just say, we're going to form a caucus, and this is the one thing that we're going to work on this year, the budget or the size of the budget or, you know, revenues or whatever. And this is what we can all agree on. Yes, we disagree on everything else, but we agree on this. So let's form a caucus based on that and get the work done this year. I mean, would that make sense? You're, again... You're fresh and brand new, but looking on the outside, looking in, would that make sense? Uh, Michael, I'm getting concerned that you've either tapped my phones or reading my notes um, because that I actually have a document on my computer now had had this conversation. Um, boy, a hundred times if I've had it once in the last month, um, I, I absolutely agree with everything that you just said. I think that that is. Um, 
that's entirely, um, I think, the right approach um, is to say, what is it that we want to accomplish in this next, you know, let's say, let's just pick this one half of this 33rd session. What's the lift we want to get done? Um, The thing that I wrote and and had presented uh, to a a handful of people was about uh, fiscal uh, issues. How do we fix our structural deficit? How do we align around fixing the PFD football? Um, How do we, you know, uh, handle some of the things that are in the governor's budget? Um, That's going to be a big lift for anybody who who wants to align around that. Um, It's a big mountain to climb, though, Michael, to get over just the letter next to your name. There's a there's a lot of angst and anxiety around, you know, leaving that behind in order to 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 caucus around an issue um and um well i think yeah i I think you're right i think there definitely needs to be a paradigm shift uh you know instead of attacking everything at once instead of bringing all these issues if we had a a caucus that was a one or two issue caucus they said we may disagree on all these other things and maybe next half of the session or next session we'll tackle those things against each other you know in this next year or in this next two years of this session here are the one or two things that we can all agree on like you said a pfd or a fiscal plan or a revenue plan or whatever it is this is what we can agree on we're going to set all this other legislation aside we're not going to deal with it because it's not earth shattering this is the important part and we can all agree on this yes and create a majority based on that i mean at this point you got to take it that way because otherwise the again the polarization has just continued across this country for the last you know 15 years and it's not slowing down unless we find the common ground on the certain things that we can agree on especially those super important things like a fiscal plan certainty spending caps pfds get that off the table if we could focus on those things then we could go back to fighting each other on all this other stuff after that is taken care of right there's a surprising level of agreement. I think uh, the bipartisan, bicameral working group from last year on the fiscal plan. Um, the, the issue that you know really is interesting to me is um, once you present that to the you know sort of split down the middle, um, you know one side or the other is not going to want the other side or the other to have a win in some cases. There, right? Right. Um, so even though there might be a great level of agreement amongst, you know, a majority of the members of the house, you know, that, that partisan divide that exists definitely does prohibit uh, some good things from going forward. And so um, maybe another opportunity for 19 fresh faces uh, to build, you know, on that exact topic. Um, But, you know, in in some cases that takes a lot of conversations and a lot of courage for people to, uh, to do that and and step outside of the box. So, um, that is ongoing. Representative elect Justin Ruffridge is our guest. We're going to continue one final segment with him. We're going to talk about the priorities of the upcoming session in his mind. Uh, some of the things that I'm already hearing and then some of the things that he personally may want to see go forward. So we're going to talk about those, get his opinions and hot takes on that. It's all directly ahead. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't forget to come join us on Facebook. Uh, It's just me and you and 65 of our closest friends watching on the internet right now. You can go to facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show if you want to be part of it there. We return with Justin Ruffridge right after this.
our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay, we're in the break right now with Justin Ruffridge uh, going through it. I mean, I don't know why this is such a hard concept to uh, to ply forward on this, uh, uh, Justin. Uh, this idea that somehow we could get opposing sides to find one piece of legislation or one concept or one thing to support. Uh, I am definitely not one of those that says... Uh, the caucus or the majority must be 100% Republicans and nothing else because I'm a libertarian and I've seen how badly the Republican Party in this day have cocked up pretty much everything that they've touched over the last 15 years. Uh, and so I think that it has to there has to be a plurality of ideas that go. Now, it has to be a unified purpose, but a plurality of ideas to come into that that to, to find that common ground. Uh, because that's the again, that's the one thing that we seem to have lost in this country is the ability to find common ground. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that I, I tell this story, but I'll tell it again just because I used to have the uh, press, not press secretary. He was the spokesman, public spokesperson for the Democratic Party, uh, used to be on my show all the time. And uh, he was a. this is before Zach Fields took over. And his name was Jake. He was a fantastic guy. And we used to joke, I mean, on the air, we would play the Soviet red flag song when he would come on the air um, and joke about it. And he would be greetings, comrade. And it was just it was just a fun. We would disagree. We would, you know, we would disagree with this. Uh, and, and do all that. But I would still go out and have lunch with the guy because even though we disagreed on so many things, there were things that we agreed on. And. We truly, in, we were not the enemy of each other, right? It was opposite ideas. We could still have, uh, I mean, no, he was he was gay, married to a man, had to do this, all this other stuff, believed in all this Medicaid and the in, in the welfare and all these things that we disagreed with. But there were other things that we did agree with and we enjoyed each other's company. I don't know why it has become such a, uh, if you don't agree exactly like I am, you are not only the enemy, you are the antichrist and you must now step away from me and I must destroy you. Uh, I think that is what has led that kind of ideology is what has led to this divide and polarization in our in our country. Doesn't mean that I won't fight you, quote unquote, verbally on things that I disagree with, but we've got to find some common ground. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you that the people I talk to in my district, um, they're they're not confused about this. You know, that it it's not bothering them. They they see what needs to happen. You know, in our state, and have asked uh, for that that exact thing to happen. They've asked for people to align around the fact that if we don't make some changes in our fiscal plan, our fiscal policy going forward, um, we're going to put ourselves in a really difficult spot as a state. Um, and, and frankly, I'll say, Michael, I think that, uh, there is a concern specifically amongst, you know, um, what I see from elected officials and people from, you know, past and, uh, legislators, uh, and legislatures is, um, some of the decisions that are, are needing to be made on budget cuts and uh, all these, they're, they're unpopular. Um, and, and that's why you need a cohesive group. That align around, um, you know, that way it's not one group getting stuck holding the bag when you say, you know, we we do need to have some cuts or a spending cap, or we're going to need to find a revenue source, or, um, you know, it, it's not going to, um, it's not going to bode well for us to just keep pushing the, uh, kicking the can down the road. 
And uh, the people of Alaska, I think, have 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 seen that, and it's not a partisan thing. They they've just said, uh, please please pay attention. Um, there's there's a lot going on. Well, there's more uh, independents in Alaska than there are Democrats and Republicans, and really that holds true across the entire United States. I mean, since 2017, more people in the a plurality of Americans since 2017 identify with more libertarian principles than either Democratic. Or Republican, yet it seems like they're the ones that get all the press and the, all the oxygen in the room is sucked up by that. And that's, I think, part of what's going on in Congress right now is that there's a group of people in the middle who are like, there's a bunch of Americans out there who are like, would you just stop bitching at each other and actually work together and get something done or at least bring the process out in the open so that we can all be part of it? Uh, it's such a great point. And, uh, you know, the truth is, is Republicans and Democrats both need to realize that they're going to lose every election from now till the end of time if all they want to have is, uh, you know, their own little group, uh, you know, in charge of things. Um, I think it's 27 or 28 <clears> percent <throat> Republicans in this state and it's 60 something percent uh, un, un, uh, declared or, or independent uh, voters. And so. Um, yeah, absolutely. That the idea that uh, we need to just stick on the the letter next to our name and not uh, not align around policy decisions is uh, well. And there's a danger yeah. there because of the centralization of power. There is a danger for one party or another to be the main masthead of everything. Because again, as we're seeing in the Congress and as we've seen in the legislature, in the leadership of the legislature, that centralization of power is very dangerous because it it basically fringes. All of these and, you know, and alienates all these other groups who are not part of that leadership cabal. And and that is, I think, the biggest part of the problem. All right. We're 10 seconds out. Here comes the ding. All right. That means we're ready to go. We got to jump back into it. The Michael Duke show continues. Uh, Justin Ruffridge is our guest. We will continue with more in just a second. Like a chair, like a chair. Here we go. Okay, one final segment uh, here on the program for today. Don't forget tomorrow coming up, it's Firearms Friday, where we get a chance to talk about guns and gun rights and so much more. It's going to be a fun show for sure. Uh, but today we're finishing up one final segment right now with Justin Ruffridge, uh, representative-elect for House District 7, what was formerly House District 30 down on the peninsula. And uh, he joins us now to talk about, in this final segment, what we can expect in the session. And I want to know what his, I mean, he, he probably has a to-do list or a wish list or a punch list that he would like to focus on. And we'll get to that here in a second. But first, let's talk about a few of the things that, well, I'm hearing. Because, you know, being doing what I do, I get emails and text messages and, you know, stuff all the time from people behind the scenes saying this is what i hear what's going to be the big the big deals you know coming up this year so let me talk about the three big things that i hear are going to be on the agenda from the powers that be and get his take on each and every one of these things so that we can uh, so that we can talk about it and get his uh, you know get his feel for where he's going on it first and foremost i guess it's the overall size and scope of the budget 
Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're hearing that right now that, that the budget is, it's got to go up, right? I mean, we've seen article after article and shill after shill come out and just say how we don't care about the children because we're not giving them enough money, even though we've, we're spending more than any other state in the union. And we have exponentially increased our school spending over the last 20 years. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. The amount of money that we spend and are still, in the 47th to 49th percentile in all of our achievements. Um, but the the budget, especially the education component, what are your thoughts on that quickly? Uh, education is definitely going to be a big part of the conversation here. BSA increase is going to be uh, certainly a large topic of conversation. I've definitely heard that uh, in, in a number of conversations that I've had. Um, I, I think realistically, um, I'm not entirely certain there's the votes uh, in the House to have uh, that um, BSA increase make it forward. My my personal opinion on education funding uh, is that uh, it's a nuanced decision, right? It's not just a money problem. Um, it's it's actually, I was just talking about this last night at dinner. Uh, it's an issue that uh, we've kind of compounded on for t- 10, 20, 30 years. We have kids right now uh, that are really struggling uh, to even have the capacity uh, to learn uh, it, that are in our schools right now. Some of this is, um, you know, uh, generational trauma issues. They're coming from places where, um, you know, learning is is secondary, tertiary, um, and so we're we're asking our schools to sort of overcome a big gap. Uh, funding's not going to help that. Um, a, a government's not going to help that. We need to uh, put Alaska back on stable fiscal uh, ground so people can have uh, some upward mobility. Um, there's some issues with, uh, well, we don't probably want to talk about welfare, but um, yeah, Alaska is uh, essentially a welfare uh, uh, heavy state. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some there's some uh, concerns there about uh, what we're prioritizing. And uh, certainly education uh, is uh, is maybe not it all the time. So. It's a much more nuanced discussion than uh, BSA increase. I guess increase the answer is to just not throw money at it, though, right? I mean, I think that's what that's I'm looking correct. for. I'm looking for a simple answer of the answer is to just not throw more money at which seems to be the argument that we're seeing in the public eye right now is, oh, if we just increase the BSA, that would fix everything. And, and of course, we've had the BSA, but we have thrown tons and millions and tens of millions of dollars on top of the BSA. And, uh, you know, we forward funded a billion dollars. We did all these other things. Uh, some of which worked out, some of which didn't. But overall, the expenditures have increased, and our, you know, and our achievement continues to decline. So something is fundamentally broken, and it's not the funding. The funding is there. I don't, yeah, I don't think those two things are actually connected to one another. I don't think as funding goes up, achievement goes up. I, I actually don't think there's even a link really there at all. I think funding is necessary, obviously, for an organization to continue and to have structure and and personnel, but. I don't think dollars necessarily align super great with with achievements. So we need to fix what's broken instead of just keep throwing money at it. I think. Do you agree with that? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Uh, The second thing that we're hearing about uh, that's probably going to make its way in uh, is this defined benefits thing. Um, Now, we've already been bitten in the state by the whole defines benefits. We slowly eased our way out of it from tier one to tier two to tier three. And then finally, we broke the chain with tier four. Uh, going to a defined contribution plan. And now we're hearing all the squawking about how, well, if we really want to do it, we need to go back to defined benefits and we can do it right this time. We promise. 
but of course, we see across the country that defined benefits programs have, you know, bankrupted con- uh, companies, municipalities, states. The federal government's had to come and bail out uh, GM and Delta, and I mean, uh, because they just, in the long run, they don't work. The actuarially, it just does not work because it it just continues to grow the balloon, so to speak. We still owe billions of dollars to tier one, two, and three employees. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the defined benefit program that is being proposed and talked about right now, which would just be for first responders, well, maybe teachers, and maybe teachers and first responders. But again, camel's nose under the tent kind of thing. What are your thoughts on the defined benefit? Yeah, I think there's an issue. I mean, that was an issue in last session. Um, and I think there was a lot of support for defined benefits returning for public safety employees. The problem is, is if you're ready to do that, I think from a constitutional perspective, it's sort of if one gets one, then the other gets the other. So, um, you know, I think you have to be ready to have that conversation for everybody. So it's not a pick who you want to give it to. Um, I'm certainly happy to have the conversation. I I, uh, share some of the concerns that you uh, just brought up. Um, I think the bigger conversation there is uh, how do we make Alaska be a place that people want to move to and stay? Uh, again, similar to the education issue, I don't think that's just a funding problem. I think uh, we haven't necessarily made uh, living and working in Alaska be a stable, um, you know, good thing for people across the board. Um, you know, I think uh, on the teacher end of things, and this is not a legislature issue, but you know, our our starting pay for teachers isn't isn't competitive. Um, you know, that's not a legislature problem to fix. Um, our uh, our training programs for public safety are second to none. But then once uh, once someone's trained, um, you know, they maybe don't like uh, what uh, what their starting salary is going to be as a public safety employee here in this state. Right. So they go somewhere else. So well, here, we, we have some very simple fixes that aren't uh, defined benefits. based. Here, here's where you and I are going to disagree, because there are 27,000 public employees in the state of Alaska and there's 700,000 people that live here. The other 663,000 people have found it acceptable to live in Alaska, have found that it's, you know, not easy, but it's livable. Uh, And so somehow because, you know, they aren't getting the gold plated or, you know, the easy button for living in Alaska. I don't think we should be offering that to to public employees when everybody else is like, yep, we're making it. We're doing okay. I mean, it's not always great, but we're living here. So, I mean, I I think that argument is a little hard to take, but I would I mean, I'd welcome the discussion. But the first thing I would do would be to whip out every example of how defined benefits have failed, starting off with the previous defined benefits programs in the state of Alaska. And I agree with you. If you let one in, there'll be an argument that all of them must come in. Uh, final one, and this is this may or may not make it, depending on what the makeup of the uh, majorities look like in both the House and the Senate. But I know there's been a big push and a lot of people out there who want to see the ranked choice voting uh, system be challenged, either modified or completely eliminated. Um, and I know that there's going to be an attempt to at least put it in front of the legislature. What's your take on the ranked choice voting? Should we be modifying it or are you okay with it the way it is? What, what's your take on it? Yeah, this was a big question during the campaign. And one of the areas where my opponent and I disagreed, uh, pretty strongly, I do not think it is the duty of the legislature to repeal a citizen led initiative, uh, that was voted on for all the same reasons, um, that we, we try to respect and honor the vote of the people. 
that being said, if there is a, uh, and there is a current initiative to repeal ranked choice voting from a citizen-led initiative, um, and I think that's exactly the route that that needs to go. Uh, the legislature taking the vote of the people, albeit maybe a confused vote or a difficult vote or the wording was wrong and it was a close vote, but that is a precedent I am certainly unwilling to take and be a part of to repeal uh, votes of a citizen-led initiative for all the reasons we've talked about. Why would you run for office? Uh, why would you bring forward a citizen-led initiative if the legislature then just says thanks but no thanks at the earliest possible moment? Justin Ruffridge has been our guest. Thank you for coming on board. We appreciate you uh, being part of it today. Thank you for talking with us and answering the questions. Hold the line for just a second. Folks, we're out of time. We got to go. Tomorrow is Firearms Friday. Short week. I love short weeks. We're going to continue then. Be kind. Love one another. We'll see you. Uh, so, again, I guess he'll be the second place that I disagree with you on. Uh, the legislature is barred from changing any initiative for two years. And there's a reason for that, because you're right. The people should have the power. That should be it. But there is a two-year, just like no legislature can bind over another legislature, right? The legislature can change laws passed by previous legislatures because things change. And there are unintended consequences of some legislation or laws passed. Um, and sometimes they're just bad laws, right? SB 91 is a prime example recently of something like that that happened. Oh, we had the best of intention. Turned out that it complete, it became a total poo parade when it was all said and done. Had to be repealed. Same thing, I think, on the ranked choice voting. It was, first of all, it was sold not as a way to change the voting system, but it was a sold as a way to get rid of dark money. And, of course, it didn't really get rid of any real dark money. That's still happening. That's still pouring into the state and everything else. And again, 26 pages of changes. Uh, I guarantee you, I only got through page 17 before I stopped reading because I'm like, I am not going to vote on something that changes so much law without any kind of real public debate on it. And while I agree with you that the the initiative process is sacrosanct, it's only sacrosanct for two years. And now we've seen the results of it. And we've seen the confusion. And we've seen the I mean, just the, again, even just the jungle primary component of it is a hot mess. It creates more problems than I think that it solves. Um, and so that would be my argument to you on having the legislature weigh in on this. What say you? Yeah, I mean, the difference to me between Senate Bill 91 and uh, the ranked choice voting ballot initiative was Senate Bill 91 was not voted on by the people of Alaska. So that was something where the legislature was able to say, yeah, there was some unintended consequences to the things that we that we did. Um, so we should probably uh, repeal that. Um, I, I do agree um, with your position that, you know, there is a there is a, a, a waiting time and, and there might be some things that the legislature should take a look at. Um, I just. Um, in, in the face of there being a an actual uh, uh, second ballot initiative going forward and getting signatures, uh, I would I would prefer to see that return to the vote of the people who brought it forward to begin with, rather than have a small group of people who aren't going to get the votes of the people um, make that decision for them. Um, and uh, certainly open to discussion and more discussion, you know, uh, offline and um, you know. But that's that's my position as I see it currently. And again, and the only problem that I see there is, again, we're putting the onus back on, you know, it's a multi-million dollar process. And especially now that a group has 
uh, past it and, you know, spent $7 million doing so and have the deep pockets to fight against it, we're now putting the onus back on the people of the state of Alaska rather than dealing with it uh, in a higher level manner. I mean, using your arguments, shouldn't the people vote on pretty much everything at that point? I mean, if that's the case, if the legislature is not qualified to vote on this and and change it because it has, you know, again, unintended consequences, then everything should go to a full vote of the people at that point. I mean, there is a there is an abdication at some point of the responsibility to do the will of the people. No, I, I disagree with that. I think that there is a, uh, you know, a responsibility, obviously. And, and I'm not saying that the uh, that the legislature is not capable of having that conversation or, or taking up that argument. Um, I just I'm I'm really sensitive to things that people vote on. So um, as a whole, um, it, so similar to the conversation that you had with Representative Eastman, should it be the job of a small group of people to tell the voters um, you were wrong? Um, or, or is that, uh, you know, a, you know, you have to respect the will of the people and if the will of the people uh, got something wrong, then uh, maybe the will of the people when it comes back up again, make a different decision. So. Well, I'd, I'd be all for bringing it back for a vote. Remember, the people voted five times to move the Capitol. So remember that one at the same time uh, that you're 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 heralding that at this point. Well, speaking of that, getting ready to pack all my things up, uh, you know, I'm I'm ready uh, to have the Capitol be uh, three hours up the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, well, it's hard to get down there. Even if we just move the legislative session, I think that would go. I mean, leave the Capitol in Juno, that's fine. Move the legislative session onto the road system so that the people can participate directly face to face. I think that would be a huge step in making Alaska's government more transparent, right? I mean, yeah. Justin Ruffridge, thanks for coming on. It was a good discussion. Um, We'll maybe we'll touch base with you in a month or so when you're hip deep in the swamp and uh, you could tell us what it feels like to have alligators nibble at you, right? It'll be fun. Sounds great. Thanks for coming on board and joining us, folks. We are out of time for today. The Michael Duke Show continues. I appreciate you all coming on board. Don't forget to join us on Patreon. Become a member of the Common Sense Core. That's how you support the show. That's how you do it. Just a few bucks a, a month will help do all the beautiful... I mean, look at what we were able to do with your help. This is the new studio layout. I mean, cameras and lighting and all that stuff. Making the show better. It's all through the help of you, the listeners. They were able to do that. Thank you for being part of it. And thanks for coming on board. Tomorrow, Firearms Friday. We will see you then. Have a great day.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 